Welcome to Farmside Today, our regular podcast about what's happening in pharmaceutical science, hosted by Professor Gina Martini, Chief Scientist of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. Visit www.orpharms.com forward slash podcasts for more Farmside Today and other podcasts. You can help us support the work of pharmacists by joining. Membership is just 60p a day. And now over to you, Gino. My name is Gino Martini, and I'm the Chief Scientist for the Royal Pharmaceutical Society. And today we have another Farmside podcast with a NHS twist. Today I'm delighted to say I've been joined by members of the NHS Loading Pharmacy team. And we're going to talk about how science really has been translated into clinical practice. I'd like to hand over straight away to the team so they can introduce themselves. Good morning, Gino. Thank you. I'm Melinda Cuthbert. I'm the Associate Director of Pharmacy responsible for the acute hospitals in NHS Logan. I'm Anne Neely, Lead Pharmacist for Critical Care and Surgical at St John's Hospital in Livingston, West Lothian. My name is Claire Hanna and I'm the Lead Clinical Pharmacist for Critical Care at Edinburgh Royal Infirmary. My name is Fiona Clark. I'm usually a pharmacist in infectious diseases, but I have just completed a years-long secondment as Lead Pharmacist for Critical Care at the Western in Edinburgh. Hi, I'm Jenny Scott. I'm Lead Clinical Pharmacist for Acute in NHS Lothian. I'm Julie Harold. I'm a pharmacy technician. I'm based at the Royal Infirmary in Edinburgh and I lead the pharmacy procurement and distribution team there. Thank you, everybody. I think one of the reasons we decided to do this podcast is I realised over the last year we didn't have much input from what life was actually like for hospital pharmacists and people working in pharmacy and hospital during the lockdown. And so I think it was a really good opportunity to really engage with pharmacists working in, in hospitals. Give us your perspective on what it was like to work in the first lockdown and subsequent lockdowns and Certainly during the first lockdown, there were a number of challenges we had to overcome. Um, Hospital ward areas changed as patients were being repatriated to different wards. So surgical wards became medical wards. COVID admission wards were set up. Um, Temporary walls were constructed, working with a split system with one side for COVID patients, the other side for non-COVID patients. And critical care wards were upscaling their capacity to cope with the increasing number of critically ill patients and for some ITUs this was doubling or even quadrupling their number of beds and moving into theatre recovery areas in order to cope with the increasing demands and the hospital pharmacy teams had to react to these changes to ensure that we had the right medicine in the right places and in sufficient quantities. Maintenance of critical care stock medicines was vital. The first surge presented many practical challenges, such as is the CD cupboard in the theatre recovery area large enough to cope with the extra stock that we're going to require? Or does the drug fridge have enough capacity? We also still had to provide clinical and technical services to ward areas. So we had to ensure that all staff had appropriate PPE and for any pharmacy staff members who were entering into the critical care wards, we had to ensure that sufficient numbers of staff were face fitted and trained in the current donning and doffing procedures. And these procedures we found were ever evolving. I think that during the first lockdown, many staff members had a heightened level of anxiety because we were dealing with a scenario that was totally new and working in ways that many of us had not experienced before. Because many hospital services were being put on hold as well during the first lockdown, hospital staff from all disciplines were being pulled into different areas to help maintain services. So pharmacy was no exception to this. 
Education and training resources were rapidly developed to allow pharmacists to return to work on critical care wards. We had pharmacists who had taken early retirement return to work and multiple pharmacists moved across specialities. Having extra staff in place was crucial to maintaining services during this time. The pharmacy department also made use of the hospital volunteer services to help with the day-to-day running of the department. So during the first lockdown, we had um, medical students and dental technicians, to name but a few new staff members working with us. Communication was another challenge that we had to be resolved, but technology did come to the rescue. Everyone had to become familiar with Microsoft Teams rather quickly. This was a great tool because it allowed socially distant meetings to take place within hospitals, across sites and nationally. Essential meetings to discuss stock issues and exchange information could take place on a more regular basis. And for example, the Scottish Adult Critical Care Pharmacist Network, they increased their biannual meetings to every week at the peak of the first lockdown. And this was fantastic from a knowledge and exchange point of view. Moving on to the second lockdown, we still experienced similar challenges with respect to wards changing from COVID to non-COVID status and the upscaling of critical care capacity. However, the fact that everyone had experienced the first lockdown meant that we knew in part what we were going to expect going into the second lockdown. They were no longer dealing with the unknown The wearing of PPE and RPE was established practice within staff and we had guidelines and monographs for second or third line treatments to deal with shortages that were already in place. However, the one major difference was the fact that hospital services had now reopened either partially or fully. So maintaining stock across all sites remained crucial. Um, Critical care stock like oxygen supplies, sedation medicines, filtration fluids, these were all being routinely monitored. And we had to react to the stock shortages and also react to new treatment developments. And one other major thing was that the extra staff that were brought in during the first lockdown had now returned to their usual roles. We've all been living with the effects of COVID now for over a year. And although services remain stretched, I think that we've all been able to seem to come up with a coping strategy. With the successful rollout of the vaccination programme in primary and secondary care, I am hoping that we are all approaching the light at the end of the tunnel soon. Thank you, Anne. Fiona, do you have a perspective? So, yeah, so working during the, the first lockdown, I think I'd echo a lot of what Anna said with regards to the challenges and things. Because this job was a secondment for me, I was new in post in February, so I didn't have a lot of time to almost upskill myself. Um, I was still on that steep learning curve when kind of all the COVID patients started coming in. I think I found it personally quite challenging, but all the things we put in place, um, the working cross-site, the Teams meetings, I think definitely helped. So the technology was definitely an asset to how we coped during the lockdowns. Thank you, Fiona. Claire, do you have any insights to add? We had to deal with a lot of issues, as Anne and, and, and has already said. And I think the um, main issue was that was treating a new clinical condition that we'd never done before. And um, obviously this involved producing you know, new medication guidelines, adapting existing guidelines over a short period of time. Um, you know, for example, we, we did develop the thromboprophylaxis guidelines for the critically ill COVID positive patient 
I think also reacting to medica- medication supply issues was a you know as a result of the increase in critically ill patients in the UK was a was a big issue. Um, and you know ensuring sufficient stock of second and third line agents as well. For example, sedative agents, neuromuscular block- blockades, uh, drugs, and then going on to develop guidelines um, involving these agents was a was a big issue for us. And also for, from my point of view, you know, wearing the PPE was a big deal, you know, trying to get used to the, the FFP3 masks as well. Yeah, I can just imagine how difficult that could be. I struggled just wearing it a couple of hours here and there. Imagine doing a, an eight or 12 hour shift. So, you know, hats off to you guys. It's almost like a war, really. And, and that brings me to my next question. So Simon Stevens did declare that the NHS was at its most precarious time in its 72 year history. Can you provide some insights how you felt during this time? I suppose I'll hand this over to Jenny from a clinical perspective. For hospital clinical pharmacy pre-COVID, we were already under significant pressure for providing services within our current staffing resources and to achieve targets in relation to patient flow and seven-day working. COVID was obviously a further significant pressure. On a positive note, we were already using validated tools to prioritise pharmacy review of all our inpatients. These tools were helpful, but during COVID, we really just had to turn everything on its head. We had to realign priorities and developed a business continuity plan with a focus on ensuring robust services to the kind of high pressure areas, those being ICU respiratory and COVID assessment wards, whilst retaining safe services to other clinical areas as best we could. This plan aligned services based on what staffing we had, because we had to remember that staff may be off sick with COVID and patient acuity and defined what activities or patient care was delivered, which is never a comfortable thing for clinical teams to do. We know what pharmacists are like, they like to do everything to 100%, and we had to just prioritise every day in a different way. A surprising service pressure was the support of the almost immediate switch to virtual outpatient consultations. This really wasn't something that we had planned for, and the delivery of pharmacist consultations using near-me technology and the supply of hospital-only medicines to shielding patients. Just overnight, we had to put plans in place to deliver hospital-only medicines to patients at home. As you can imagine, maintaining well-being in the middle of COVID has been really tough, especially during the second wave. Everyone is tired, so maintaining positivity and happy working environment is a challenge for the whole NHS. But it's, it's important to reflect on what we have achieved today, and we try to do that. Well, I'd like to say hats off to all members of the NHS and our pharmacy teams for the work that you've done. And on behalf of the Royal Pharmaceutical Society, you guys have been simply amazing. And it it has been a hard slog. You know, it has been, as we conduct this podcast, it is actually 12 months almost exactly when the lockdown was officially called. Uh, Has there been any key learnings for how we treat COVID-19 patients that you want to share with our colleagues? And I think I'll hand this question over to Claire first. The biggest learning point came from the recovery study, which showed that six milligrams daily of dexamethasone for up to 10 days reduced 20-day mortality significantly in patients with COVID-19 who required supplemental oxygen or mechanical ventilation. This was a great discovery because it's a drug which is readily available in the UK and uh, not expensive. Remdesivir is an antiviral which was tested in clinical trials in the early stages of the pandemic. And at that point, it was suggested that it shortened recovery time for severely ill COVID positive patients. However, in in February 2021, 
the World Health Organization Solidarity Study, which was a large international study involving thousands of patients, showed that remdesivir had no significant impact on mortality, length of hospital stay, or the need for ventilation. And this was an incredibly important finding. The use of interleukin-6 inhibitors, which are licensed in the UK for rheumatoid arthritis, namely tocilizumab and cerulumab, in the remap cap and recovery studies, showed a significant reduction in mortality in critically ill patients receiving respiratory support. The remap cap showed reduction in risk of death by 24% compared to standard care. And in the recovery trial, critically ill patients who required oxygen and showed inflammation and who were receiving IV tocilizumab showed a significant reduction in mortality. These benefits were seen in those patients on oxygen via face mask, those receiving non-invasive ventilation and those mechanically ventilated, which was a very positive finding. Finally, another important learning point is that critically ill COVID positive patients have an increased risk of venous thromboembolism and a degree of heparin resistance. Subsequently, higher doses of low molecular weight heparins are required to achieve target anti-10A levels in the blood. And hence, the critical care team developed an enhanced thromboprophylaxis guideline for critical care units in Lothian to reflect this. And I must say that the new drug guidelines had to be developed and communicated to relevant medical and nursing staff during the last year for these new drug treatments. And this obviously took a lot of work from the doctors and pharmacists involved. And it was a great achievement. Thank you. That's really fascinating. I didn't realise about the dosage adjustments required for heparin. Thank you. Anne, could you add anything? The only thing that I really wanted to add regarding Claire's comments was the fact that we were able to respond quite rapidly to all the new treatment protocols and the changes in guidance that were coming out. That could be quite a challenge at times because there was just so much information out there. So trying to keep on top of everything in a sort of timely manner was certainly a challenge. But I think we were all trying to do the best for our patients in the, the most sort of time effective manner that we could. But getting all these guidelines in place was a real help and with working with medical staff and other pharmacy groups was key. Uh, and Jenny, anything to add? Probably just reiterating what Anne and Claire have said, really, just reflecting on the past year, we started with no treatments. We've now moved on within 12 months to proven treatments and vaccine, which really is quite incredible. It was a bit of a mean feat trying to get all this information together in readable, user-friendly guidelines. Reflecting, it was all about really excellent teamwork and also multidisciplinary teamwork. It's been a steep learning curve requiring the skills of the whole multidisciplinary team I mean, to get these guidelines together, we had to pull together ICU specialists, infectious diseases consultants, respiratory specialist doctors and clinical pharmacists within these specialties. But we can't really forget the pharmacy clinical trials teams and also the pharmacy procurement team who really tracked down and managed to get hold of all these drugs for us. So just really, we all had a shared focus and it was just really the learning for me is just how much we can achieve and pull together the expertise we have to implement these treatments safely and efficiently. I think it's really important, isn't it? Because last year it was very, very dynamic. One minute you've got results saying tocilizumab couldn't be used and then the trial said it could be used. It was so dynamic. It must have been very difficult to try and keep on top of it. And that's why it was so important for the recovery remap trials to be done and standardised operating out of Oxford. I can just imagine the workload you guys had to endure. That, that takes me to my next question, because obviously there was a lot of stress. My question really revolves about your well-being and mental health. Was it affected? And also, what did you do to help your colleagues improve their well-being in your pharmacy departments? Now, how were you affected? And also, how did you help your other team members? 
Can I ask Fiona? We've mentioned some of the challenges in a practical sense. Obviously, the working day was very busy, very stressful. Looking back to this time last year, just as things were starting, we didn't really have a lot of information. We didn't really treatments as yet. There was that anxiety as to what direction is this going to go in? And then I suppose on a personal level, out with work, you've got things like food shortages, the toilet roll shortage, various things that just made life a bit more challenging. And then the flip side of that is our usual ways to manage these stress. So, I mean, everyone's got their own things, but personally, I think, you know, to decompress, maybe do some exercise, go hiking, um, maybe see family and friends. You've got all your hobbies and things. So they're all taken away from you. So it was about putting kind of new coping strategies in place. We actually did quite a lot of things through work and through the hospital as well. Here at the Western, we started having a daily huddle in person initially, but as we kind of got up to speed with things over Teams, and it was quite useful. It was almost in a practical sense to see what staff do we have in? Is anybody off sick? Is everyone recovered? But it also turned into more of a check-in. Is everyone OK? Is everyone coping? Can we do anything to support anyone? And that's something we've maintained. Um, and it's really useful just as a, an initial point of communication, first thing in the morning, pass on any important information from the site huddle, but also just to check in with every department and make sure everyone's doing OK. We also had our weekly cross-site meetings with critical care team. Again, both to cover like clinical and practical aspects, like the new guidelines that we've discussed and the stock issues. But we also had a specific standing item in the agenda, just about wellbeing. To check in that everyone's coping okay, that people are taking annual leave, people are taking breaks, and we're all doing okay from that kind of mental side. And even, like again, as being relatively new to this team, um, having that discussion every week was really useful. It just, you know, kind of put names to faces helped us get to know each other on a more personal level um, and then it meant asking for help if you could like bleep someone or email someone we knew each other a wee bit better so I think that definitely helped I mean both in a clinical patient care sense but also just in a personal sense another thing that's happened here at the western is we've actually set up a well-being team a group of a mixture of pharmacists technicians admin staff all meet monthly again just because there's not much going on in our personal life just to have like a little bit of enjoyment a little bit of fun so it started out with, there was the guest the Westie, so we got sent out um, baby photos. We had to try and identify who the photo was. Things like we had a list on the walls, people could recommend podcasts or music. Um, one of the girls has made a pharmacy playlist just to for something new to listen to, recommending different television shows. We'd thought about starting up like a walking group, but then with lockdown we've kind of put that on pause. But hopefully as things start to open up, we'll be able to do more activities. And I think, again, just having some kind of structured things has helped us all cope a lot better. And I think as well, we are quite a close team. We work really well together and everyone's just been more aware. Everyone is having a difficult time. So there's always a sense we do just kind of check in with each other. Everyone's been quite kind. I think we've all just done our best and these things have all made it that little bit easier. Claire, have you got anything to share from your department? I think this last year has been incredibly stressful for the team. Um, and like Fiona, similar to what Fiona said, the clinical pharmacy team, the Royal met every day in the morning for a clinical huddle. And that was great because as well as allocating workload for the day, we had the opportunity to check in and, and see how we all were, which I've certainly found very helpful. And similar again to the team at the Western, the team at the, the pharmacy department at the Royal have a wellbeing team as well, who've been absolutely amazing during this last year. They've created a, a wellbeing notice board where staff again could share different ideas on what to do in lockdown, whether it's TV programs, recipes, podcast suggestions, etc. The wellbeing group decorated the department with rainbows, which really elevated people's uh, moods. And at Christmas and Halloween, they decorated the department as well. 
The team sent care packages consisting of chocolates and cards to staff members who were shielding at home, which I know was really greatly appreciated. In terms of the critical care pharmacy team across the three sites, I feel that we've you know worked amazingly well this last year and we're very supportive of each other. I think our weekly meetings uh, via teams have really helped improve communication. And certainly from my point of view, I felt totally supported by my colleagues and there's a great sort of sense of teamwork and solidarity, which is so important, you know, especially during this last year. And I don't think um, I could have got through it without them. Thank you, Cliff. And Julie? During this period, I was shielding. So from March last year, I had to shield at home. And we didn't know at the time that was 16 weeks without leaving the house, which was a difficulty in itself. So to be very honest, I was very glad that I had a job that I could take home and that I could I could do that from home. And that gave me a focus on managing the critical care drugs. The challenge for my team was maintaining a responsive stockholding. And the difficulty with that, as the pharmacists have explained, is that to begin with, we didn't know what we would need, when we would need it um, and so on. So that took a little while to settle. So I was glad that I had that focus and time to actually really concentrate on building a stock analysis tool and making sure that we had the drugs in the right place at the right time and coordinate the supply of drugs across the three different sites in NHS Lothian to the intensive care beds. In terms of, of shielding itself, when you've got a chronic condition, working from home is, is actually easier. So there are be- real benefits there. You're not travelling. You've got more time to do that. There are benefits there and you have protected times. One thing that I didn't expect was that actually some meetings are actually better. So a patient access scheme group that I go to in Glasgow, for example, it's better attended. There's more people go. You don't have the travel time to get there and so on. And if you can overcome the technical issues, which sometimes do ruin our day, you know, you can have actually a better experience. So in a way, we've really leapt forward, I think, um, quite dramatically in the last few months as well. So there are some real positives come out of it. I suppose there are some negatives in there as well in terms of you miss the social aspect. You're not meeting people in corridors and chatting to colleagues. However, you did get motivational chocolate bars arriving through the post and flowers arriving through the post, which was absolutely lovely. And to know that your colleagues were still thinking about you and so on was absolutely great. Perhaps the negative is not leaving the office at the end of the day. There isn't a a natural end to the day. So you really have to work really hard to walk away. And there are days where it's extremely busy that it's hard to do that. I'll just do this and I'll just finish it. And you go on. I suppose you have to be very, very disciplined there. And you do learn that. And I did get better as I went along with that. There is a negative in that I wasn't in the workplace. You can't take everything home with you. So I usually manage a robot, for example. Can't take that home with you. But the team very much stepped up and managed that role very well. I suppose as a negative in terms of my line manager as well, she picked up more with the team. But you do learn different ways to manage the team and so on. And as Anne has alluded to, we got to grips with Microsoft Teams very quickly to try and manage that. There's been lots of activities on site, virtual coffee mornings and so on for people who are working at home is a great way of keeping in touch. And I think a lot of meetings and so on that we've had, we've always spent the last five minutes of the meetings. How are you? And actually answering that question rather than just going through the motions of asking that question and getting an answer. And I think there's times where I've changed slightly what I've done. So I've got a colleague, for example, who I know is working from home. It works in quite an isolated role. So instead of emailing her, I would pick up the phone. 
you know, small things like that that actually can make a difference. I would agree with what's been said so far, that it's been tremendous teamwork demonstrated to get us through this. Thank you, Julie. And it's sometimes very hard to have that natural break. You don't leave the office, you go home, and that travel time is that kind of break. And I think everyone's saying, you know what, it's coming seamless, back-to-back teams or Zoom meetings. I'd like to go back to a world where I can have the odd face-to-face meeting and have the conversation in the corridor, but also at the same time have the option to do a team's meeting. I think the last question I want to ask of you, Melinda, in particular, is how you and I got into this podcast, is understanding more about vaccine development and, more importantly, how hospitals have played a vital, crucial role in vaccine development and rollout. Can you share with our colleagues what you and your team are up to during this critical phase? I guess probably to start, I would say that, you know, a key responsibility of the NHS pharmacy family across the UK for the pandemic vaccine campaign has been the procurement and supply of quality COVID vaccines in line with professional pharmacy standards to meet the needs of patients and the health and social care colleagues out there. At a health board tactical level and an operational planning level, it has been complex. The national COVID vaccination program continues to change day by day, including the cohorts to be vaccinated and the order and the pace of delivery. That is even further complicated by the supply chain that adds significant uncertainty to proactive planning to distribute vaccines to vaccine sites or centers. And that has resulted in a significant amount of reactivity for the teams to respond to delivering the COVID vaccines to our population. Regardless of those challenges, so the great dedicated and hardworking pharmacy team members involved from acute primary care and community have risen to the challenge to deliver the health board vaccination programs, which we have to celebrate. It has and will continue to, I think, to be a long haul for a number of months yet until the vaccination campaign is complete. So supporting the teams to be healthy and have a good work-life balance will continue to be the challenge here, I guess, for us. And that, and at this point in time, we're still starting trying to understand the science of will we actually need to give booster doses, et cetera, and then how is that going to interplay with the other demands that the service already provide for the flu vaccine campaign, the child and the school age campaigns. And so it's those kind of unknowns at the moment and the planning for that, that we continue to have to consider. Just kind of summing up from my perspective and just reflecting on what the teams have shared. And thank you so much to the team members who have been involved today for your honesty and for how it has impacted on you, but also bringing out how well you have supported each other during this and the well-being things you have done through that. And I'm so proud of my teams across the site. So if I don't say it often enough, I say it now. But I guess I would just finish by saying a thank you. We're also very proud of you at the RPS. And we don't praise you enough. Pharmacy will be playing a greater role in vaccinations because it's very clear COVID-19 vaccinations will have to go hand in hand with flu vaccinations. And one of my frustrations was to see that, you know, pharmacy has shown what it can do. We did it last year with flu vaccinations. And I think now with the current campaign, I vaccinate people and I've done about a thousand people by now. And I've done it with loads of pharmacists as well. I think it's, it's here to stay and our role will be even more regarded and praised for playing that vital role. Thank you for your time. Thank you, Melinda. Julie, thank you so much. Anne, thank you so much. Claire, thank you so much. Jenny, thank you so much. And Fiona, thank you so much. Thank you, Gino. It's been our pleasure. 
Thanks for joining us at Farmside today. We regularly add new chats with interesting and important figures at www.orfarms.com forward slash podcast. So check back again soon to keep up with the latest in pharmacy and pharmaceutical science. And remember, RPS membership costs just 60p a day. Find out more at www.orfarms.com forward slash RPS membership.